It is truly an honor to be here this morning to share the Word of God on in your pastor's stead. Pastor Travis and Kelly and Sandra and myself have been good friends for several years, and I so appreciate his ministry. You're blessed with a great shepherd, a great preacher, a great visionary, and it's an honor to call him my friend. And he's a Redskin fan too, so he's definitely okay. <laughs> I knew I'd get a little bit of kickback on that. But uh, we are honored to be here, and I just want to say, I told uh, uh, Brother Turpin and Sister B both before service that it's been five years since the last time that I was with you, and I have so many, many wonderful, nostalgic, sentimental uh, memories here. I was thinking this morning, I was in a revival service with Cliff West. I was sitting over there. This has been several years ago, and where I was serving at, the Lord was dealing with my heart, and I was really wondering if I was up for the task. And a few days prior to coming to a revival service here, the Lord spoke to me and gave me a, a word. And when I came to the service, Cliff West was the evangelist. He called my wife and I up here at this very location. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord wants to remind you the exact word that God had given to me just two or three days prior. God confirmed his word with signs following. God does that, amen? Never will forget that. Been here to preach alongside of Dr. Tim Hill, and it's always been a blessing. And Five years ago, the last time I was here, there was a very significant event that took place in my life. I'll share more about it in just a few moments, but I just want to say, to the Pulaski Church of God, thank you. You've always welcomed me with open arms, and you've always been kind and gracious to me and my family, and I am just thrilled and honored to have this opportunity to stand before you and share the Word of God. And You've got some great things going on, and I'm thankful for how God is moving. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise for how He's moving among His people? <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. <clears throat> Thank you, Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Tony, for your hospitality, for the great setting of the table. So, so appreciate your ministry. I love your music pastor's energy. I traveled with him to Catalyst one time. And we had a great time. And then I see him lead worship, and I see him sing, and I see him, I mean, he's like a spiritual caffeine overload. And it's just great. I love it. I love it. This encourages my heart. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. If you'll follow along with me. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead. And laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child, and put his mouth upon his mouth, 
and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him and the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her and when she was come into him, he said, take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Now, if you would flip over to 2 Kings chapter 8, four chapters over. I want to connect these two chapters today. Beginning in verse 1. Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go thou and thine household, and sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord has called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. The woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things which Elisha has done. And it came to pass, as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, So the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers, and all the fruits of the field, since the day that she left the land, even until now. Can someone say amen to the reading of God's word? I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stretch your hand this direction. Pray God's blessing and anointing over the, his word and over his messenger today. Can we pray together? Father, we bless you today. Thank you for what we feel already. The atmosphere is certainly, certainly conducive to the ministry of the word of God. Your spirit is here. And Lord, I believe that we're not here by accident or coincidence, but I believe we're here by divine appointment. Lord, I cannot, I am not capable of delivering this message. I have got to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray right now that you would just saturate me. I declare like the psalmist did in Psalms 92 and 10, when he said, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. I pray for fresh oil to fall over this messenger. I pray for fresh oil to fall over this message. I pray for fresh oil to anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive the word of the living God. And Lord, we will be careful to give you all the thanks and the glory and the honor for these blessings in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. And the church said, amen. I'd like to talk with you for a few moments and share with you on the simple idea of restoration. Restoration. May I declare today that God is a God of salvation. I'll say that again. God is a God of salvation. 
God is also a God of restoration. In every facet of your life, based upon your faith, in the name and the authority and the power of Jesus Christ, we believe that all that has disappeared can reappear. All that has been diminished can be replenished. All that has been taken away can be returned because God is a God of restoration. 21 years ago this year, there came out a very uh, popular, upbeat, contemporary course. I've sung it many times in church. It was called Enemy's Camp. I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. And now he's under my feet. He's under my feet. Satan is under my feet. Anybody remember that song? Not only was it an upbeat song, but it was a very popular song. And yet it did not come without some controversy attached to it. You say, why would there be controversy about a song like that? Because there is a theology that floats about that believes that once we are under the lordship of Christ, that the enemy does not have access to uh, uh, anything that belongs to us. And, and I, I struggle with that, especially when I read about someone like Job in the Old Testament who was a devout follower of God, had ten children, and he lost all of his children, and he lost all of his land and property, and he lost his assets and his, and his health. Now let me be clear this morning. The Gospel of John tells us that no man can pluck me out of the hand of God. No man can pluck me out of the hand of God. I am secure in the hand of the Lord. But I certainly, if I'm not careful, if I become lax and indifferent and apathetic, I can become lost and backslidden from the Lord and back in the enemy's control and in his claws. And can I tell you today, we cannot afford to let our guard down. The enemy has a target on every person's back in this room. We have to do everything that we can to build a hedge around our children, around our property, about, around our money, about everything that belongs to us because because the enemy is out to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I believe the Lord has sent me by to encourage some folks this morning through this biblical narrative. And I believe the Lord wants me to share with you that there is not one soul or one bit of property or one dime that cannot be restored to you through the power of Jehovah God. Amen? This woman and her husband, they had been barren for years, unable to have children, but yet they had been very hospitable to the prophet whose name was Elisha. In fact, they, they loved Elisha so much that every time he came to town, they would host him in their home and, and even went so far as to build a room and put, a, put a, a table and a chair in it and a bed in it and a, and a place for him to reside when he was on his evangelistic travels. And Well, one day God blessed them with a miracle son. And that miracle son, after all those years of barrenness, one day the little toddler, I would imagine probably three, four years old, he was out helping his dad in the field and his head began to hurt extremely, unbearable pain. And, and the father didn't know what to do. And as most of us dads do, uh, when our children are hurting, the best thing we can do is turn our children over to mom because mom knows how to nurture and minister uh, to the child. And so the dad said, take, take the boy to his mother 
well. They didn't realize that within a few moments after he sat on his mother's lap that the boy at a very young age would tragically die. Well, if you read the narrative further, you would find that Elisha the prophet, he would come to where the corpse of the young child was. And the scripture said that he prayed and that he, he literally laid upon the child. He put his mouth to the child's mouth. He put his eyes to the child's eyes. And the Bible says that he put his hands to the child's hands. And the scripture says, and the flesh of the child began to wax warm. It looks like that from that we see that he was revived. We see that he was brought back to life. And we see that he was revived and he was, and he was surviving, but he was not thriving. And so Elisha walked out of the room and then he came back because the boy, even though he was breathing, he was still somewhat in a comatose uh, state. And so after Elisha walked to and fro throughout the house, discerning the voice of the Lord, he come back and did the same thing again. And he laid upon the child. And this time, the child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And I imagine it was probably startling for the little fella to see a prophet laying on top of him. But I want you to know this tonight or this morning is that he went the first time his wax was warm. His, his wax had, had warmed. His flesh had warmed. And he had gone from reviving and surviving. But when, when Elisha went back and laid on top of the little boy again, he went to sneezing and thriving. And I, I just want to tell you, I want to tell someone today, God wants to take us from just being revived and just being survived to a place that we thrive in the goodness and the abundance and the bounty of the Lord. The narrative goes on to say that the mother was called in and commanded, take up your son. And the scripture says that she took up her son. I just want to take a few moments at the very outset of this message to tell some parents in this house and some grandparents in this house that God has not forgotten you, nor has he forgotten the promise that he made to you concerning your children. It's very possible there could be a mother here today whose son spent the night in the gutter last night. It's very possible that there could be a father that is here today who doesn't even know where his daughter spent the night at all. But I want to tell you something. God has the power and the authority and the ability to turn them from darkness spiritually and call them out of darkness into his marvelous light. I've come by to remind someone today that though they are spiritually dead this morning, though they are unsaved, though they are backslidden, I want you to know the same Lord who called Lazarus forth from the grave after four long days is still calling men and women and young people and young adults from the grave clothes of sin and debauchery and giving them new life in Jesus Christ. He is the God of restoration. Isaiah said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. In the book of Joel, he said, I will restore the years that the canker worm and the palmer worm and the caterpillar and the locust have eaten away. I'm here to encourage someone today pick up your faith. It's time to get vigilant one more time. It's time to get diligent one more time. It's time to declare, I have believed on 
upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise to me is that because I have believed, I also will see the saving of my household. I've trained them up in the way I should go. And I stand on the promises of God that when they are old, they will not depart from it. They will come back. They will be restored in the name of Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. Like the woman in the story, take up your son and your daughter in Jesus' name. Believe and pray that they're not just going to be revived and they're not just going to survive, but they're going to thrive and live in the goodness of the Lord. Can someone say amen? Well, let me go on with this story. Because I tell you, every time for years I read and I never connected the two chapters I always read the miracles separate and unique. And the second part of this narrative is not near as well known as the first. But it is just as worthy of our attention this morning. Because some years have passed now. The woman probably has become a widow. She's got her miracle son back. He's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12 years old. And there's a famine that's coming to the land. And Elisha the prophet comes to her and says... You need to leave this area and you need to go somewhere and live for a period of time while this severe famine comes to the land. And so the scripture says that she walks away from her land, her home, her livelihood, and she goes to the land of the Philistines. And I want to tell you something. When she did that, she lived to survive the famine. I want to tell you something. She is surviving, but she's not thriving. Come on now. Somebody help me here. She's surviving, but she's not thriving. Well, seven years go by. She's been in the land of the Philistines. And so she just assumes, as we would if we left our home vacant for seven years, that our home will be there. And after seven years, she comes back. And to her horror, she finds that her home and her property and her finances, her produce is all gone. Now, I began to speculate what in the world happened to this woman's property, to everything that she owned. She, she just left for a while, and she went because the famine was so severe. And, and I imagine one of two things must have happened. Either squatters must have come in and taken over her vacant house, which was a common practice. It still happens today. I went to Guatemala a few years ago, and, and, and I saw all these people uh, with their tents built on the side of the road, and there's some law of the land that if, if, if people don't claim rights to their property, that squatters can come in and set up domain and, and literally take property just by building a tent in that, in that location. And so squatters uh, might have taken her, her vacant house and, and land, or maybe in the last seven years, the king has decided, as kings had a tendency to do that they would just seize the, the land for their own property, for their own royalty, to, to, to make them a little more wealthy, to give them a little more fixed assets. So whether it was squatters that took her land or, or whether it was the king who had taken it for royal property, she has no option. 
She comes back after having survived a famine away from home for seven years. She has no option but to go and beg the king to have mercy and give her her land back. Oh, what is, what are, what is her and her miracle son going to do? How are they going to live? Boy, I tell you, I get pumped when I read this because I want you to get the scenario here. Get this, because seven years she's been gone, but precisely at the time she walks into the palace to beg the king for mercy, and she's got her 10-year-old son with her. At that very moment, the king has just, it just so happened, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, was standing there close by. It just so happened that the king looked at Gehazi and said, I want you to rehearse for me some of the miracles that Elisha has performed. And did you know that precisely as Gehazi was telling the king about the miracle of the boy being raised back to life seven years earlier, at precisely that moment, the woman and her son walked into the court of the king, seven years removed from the land, and yet at a coincidental moment, not on your life, at a providential moment, they walk into the king's court. It wasn't a year early or a year late. It wasn't a month early or a month late. It wasn't a, a, it wasn't a week early or a week late, a day early or a day late. It wasn't an hour early or an hour late, but price, precisely at the moment that God ordained from the portals of glory, she walked into the king's court while Gehazi was telling the king about a boy that had been raised back to life and then all of a sudden Gehazi looks over and says, King, that's the one I was just telling you about. He just walked in. That's the miracle boy that was dead, but today he is alive. <laughs> Coincidence not on your life. I'll say that again. It was providential. You know what Proverbs says? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as rivers of water. And he turns that heart whithersoever he will. Unoccupied fields, uncultivated fields, unoccupied house taken over by strangers or by government or by enemies. But in one moment, the king looked and said to one of his servants, Restore all that was hers. Mm. Restore all that was hers and all the fruit of the field since the day she left the land, even until now. In other words, give her her house back, give her her land back, and all that her land has earned the seven years she was gone. Can I tell you, in just that moment, she'd already been given her son, but in just that moment, she was given her land and her house and her lost wages. <laughs> Let me bring this current. Let me really give you a feel for this miracle here. Could you just imagine with me for a moment? Satan is appearing before the Lord as he did with Job. And he is ranting and he's raving about you and about you and about you before the king of kings. Well, just about that moment, you kneel down to pray. 
about that moment you show up boldly at the throne of grace and you're begging the king for restoration of your children you're begging the king for restoration of your money you're begging the king for restoration of your property and all of a sudden God turns and appoints a caseworker named Michael the archangel and he says these words to Michael Michael restore all that they have give them their children back give them their money back give them their land back I'm going to give it all back to them because I'm a God of restoration and then Michael takes Lucifer by the nap of the neck and he demands that Satan the devourer give up your children at that moment give up your property at that moment give up your finances at that moment there's been an unlawful possession for which there is no valid excuse you say I don't know if that happens does Michael really wrestle Satan let me tell you something Michael wrestled Satan for the body of Moses according to the word of God and let me tell you the soul of your son and daughter is much more valuable than the body of Moses if God has to dispatch his number one one warrior angel to go and fight Lucifer he'll do it and he'll demand that they let them go in Jesus name Jose 13 14 God said I will ransom them from the power of the grave I will redeem them from death God says oh death I will be your plague and oh grave, I'm going to be your destruction. The power of spiritual death is shattered. The power of the grave is broken. What I've come by to tell you is that it's time to show up at the Lazarus tomb of your children with a claim. It's time to stand in front of your mortgage with a claim. I want to, I'm, I'm going to say this today. I, I feel the Holy Spirit. You don't have to declare bankruptcy. You don't have to foreclose. You need to stand square, look the enemy in the eyeball and say, I am a child of the Most High God and I serve a God of salvation and I serve a God of restoration. And he said, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory by my son Christ Jesus. I'm not just a half-dead saint with wax-warm flesh. If you want to live your Christian walk, revived and survived, you have at it. But I believe God wants us to live revived, survived, and thriving. You see, I'm concerned that I, along with even folks in this room, we have situational faith. Maybe you've heard the term situational ethics. I looked up that definition this week, and situational ethics means the, the doctrine of flexibility and the application of moral laws according to circumstances. I'm not a big fan of the term myself, situational ethics, because I believe you ought to be ethical in all areas. I think in every situation you ought to operate with ethics. Unfortunately, too many of us have situational faith. We believe God can meet our needs financially, but we've given up on Him saving our children. Come on now. 
I come down here? Seemed like last time I was here, there was another row right here. I got a little more room here. But look back over your life. Take, take a few moments sometimes. The greatest inspiration to your faith is sometimes reflecting on what God has done in your past. We get so caught up in our present circumstances that we forget that he is a God of restoration. See, I remember Brother Turpin. Brother Turpin asked me about my boy a while ago. I remember when he was born. I remember the years that we prayed and we were barren and couldn't conceive and have a child because my wife had some, some antibodies that were fighting against her blood. I, I remember that. I remember those four years, four different miscarriages rather. But I also remember I was in a camp meeting service one night and God spoke to me and said, one day you'll have a child. I held on to that promise for six years. And when that child was born, he was born with major, major medical issues. He was, we were told he was going to have Down syndrome. He was going to be severely mentally retarded. He spent the first month of his life in the NICU, came home on a heart monitor till he was five months old. I remember all that well. In fact, I remember the first night he was born. I remember talking to my wife on the phone. She's in the hospital. I'm at home. I'm supposed to be an overjoyed father. And I'm on the other end of the phone listening to her say that our baby boy stopped breathing three times last night. But I also remember going to a chapel in Winchester Medical and getting down on my knees and saying these words, God, you promised hey, I'm a tithe payer. And not only would you open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, but you would also rebuke the devourer. I'm not asking you to open up heaven today. I'm asking you to stop the hand of the enemy that's trying to take my son away from me. And may I declare to you today, some 17 years later, he's about to finish his junior year. He's been a high academic honor student talking about going for a business degree a year from now and completely healed of every malady he had as an infant. God is a God of restoration. Five years ago, I went through one of the darkest periods of my life in ministry. And I was in this church, standing behind this sacred desk, feeling like I had lost everything. I'll never forget it. I hadn't preached in three months. And I stood behind this desk, and you were gracious enough to hear this preacher. And I preached, God moved, I remember people came and knelt across this altar. I remember what I preached on. I preached on the value of a rainbow. And I remember this is the significant part though, because I walked from the pulpit down here and I was walking over and I was about I guess there was somebody over here and I walked over and I was about to lay hands on their shoulders because they were praying facing the front and a gentleman walked up to me and he tapped me on the shoulder 
And I turned around and he said, sir, I don't know you and I don't know anything about your past. But God wants me to tell you something. That he's about to do things in your future that your past could never compare to. I looked at three leaders that were standing here and one of them was Todd Stifler. And I looked at him and I said, hey, because I believe in the credibility of the prophet. I believe somebody gives you a word, they ought to be somebody you can have some confidence in. Somebody ought to say amen right there. I remember tell, talk, turning to three leaders and Todd, you were one of them. I said, is that person for real? He said, that person is for real. Don't know if they're even here this morning or if they would even remember it. But I'm telling you why right now, sir, if you are here, I still remember that word from five years ago. And I want to tell you something. I'm still holding on to that promise. I'm still believing God's going to restore every dime, every ounce of ministry, every fruitfulness. It's coming to pass. I'm watching it unfold. I'm telling you, he's not just interested in saving your children. He wants your children to thrive. He's not just interested in you having just enough to get by. He wants you to prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. He wants you to thrive. He is a God of restoration. He's a God of restoration. The darkest moments of our lives. And there's people in this room. You may be in the darkest moments of your life. I know what it's like to pastor in darkest moments. I know what it's like to be in church, be part of a church in darkest moments. But it ain't over till God says it's over. God is a God of abundance, a God of restoration, a God of plenty. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, having sufficiency in all things, would abound to every good work. That doesn't sound like revive and survive to me. That sounds like thrive. You may have a hard time with this theologically. And if you do, take it up with your pastor next week. But if he had not died, the boy, he would not have been resurrected. If he had not died, if he had not been resurrected, there would be no testimony to a king seven years later. She would have missed out on getting her land and income restored. That's the truth. What are you saying, preacher? There's no test without a there's no testimony without a test. There's no miracle without a mess. But 
But we must be diligent, vigilant with our faith. We must storm the kingdom of darkness. We must plunder the enemy's camp. We must go on the offensive against the gates of hell for our children, our houses, our land, our money, for all areas. Devour turns to restoring. Little turns to plenty. Poverty turns to bounty. Cursing turns into blessing. Revive means to make alive that which was dead. Survive means to barely get by on life support. But thrive means to prosper, to succeed, to be blessed, to experience the favor of the Lord. You could sit back and survive if you want to, but I'm determined I'm going to thrive and live in the blessings of the Lord. How do you do it? In closing, you draw a circle. I want to draw a circle around my 17-year-old boy that he revives and thrives. I want to draw a circle around my house and my property that it revives and thrives. I want to draw a circle around my finances that they revive and they thrive. I draw a circle around my church that I pastor that it's not just revived, but that it thrives. There's an untapped harvest. God is assigned to the Pulaski Church of God. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to thrive. How are you going to do it? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray like I've never prayed. I'm going to believe. Well, when you pray, aren't you believing? I don't know. Sometimes I think our praying is more complaining than it is believing. Like the three men that were praying during a drought. Been severely drought. Their crops were dying and things were really going bad. And they were praying. They would say, we're going to get together and pray. Every day we're going to pray. And so they got together and prayed every day, oh God, send rain. They begged and they pleaded, oh God, send rain. There was an elderly gentleman who walked by one day and saw the three men praying. And he said, what are you all doing? Well, we've got a severe drought. You know all about it. We're here praying. We're praying and believing. We're praying. Asking God, pleading with God for the drought to end. He said, well, it's not going to work. They got quite angry with him and indignant. They said, how come it's not going to work? He said, because you're praying, but you're not believing. You're praying, but you're not believing. He said, what do you mean? We're praying and we're believing. No, if you were believing, you'd bring an umbrella to the prayer meeting. Now let that sink in for a moment. What did Jesus tell Thomas? He said, because you've seen the nail prints in my hands. You've seen the nail pierced side. You have believed. But then I love this part. He goes, blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they still believe. We pray. We believe. We learn and quote the promises of God. We tithe and we give. 
And then we claim restoration of our children, our property, our finances, every area of our life. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you close your eyes all over this house? God didn't call you to wax warm and just survive. God called you to sneeze seven times and to thrive. Thank you.